0: Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We are beginning 2023 with a journey with Jesus. We're just uh, walking through the Gospel of Mark. And today, we're actually going to unpack the first supernatural thing, the first miracle In the Gospel of Mark. But before I get to Mark chapter 1, I want to set some context for today's conversation because this has the potential to feel a little bit weird. This has the potential to be a little bit divisiveness. And so I want to do some groundwork to get us in the right mental space before we jump into this conversation. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to land in Mark chapter 1. So you can put a thumb there. But real quick, I just want to put up on the screen Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. And it says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for others' faults, both because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. It's a rather interesting reason why Paul's writing this. And he begins Ephesians chapter 4 this way because he's going to, in the following verses, teach about the diversity of the body of Christ. But before he talks about how we are all created different, he reminds that he calls us as Christians to unity. We're wired different, we see things different, we have different personalities, we have different spiritual gifts. But he's saying if you will lead with humility and gentleness, if you will be patient with one another, if you will make allowances for others, people's faults, And if you will be spiritually mature enough to commit yourself to being united in spirit, that's when things really get fun. That's when things really take off. That's when the church, when the family, when a nation will become effective and commit that we're going to spiritually mature, talk about our differences and how we're going to resolve conflict and how we're going to disagree. So if you take that principle out of Ephesians chapter 4, that we're going to be spiritually and mature enough to walk in unity, and then when you put this promise that's found in the Old Testament in Psalm 133, and this psalm was written by King David who had united a divided nation of Israel. When King Saul died, some immediately followed David, but the Bible says, I read it this week, that there was a long war between David's followers and the descendants of Saul and King David had finally united a divided nation and this is what we call a song of ascent meaning it's a song that people would sing on their way to church and a lot of times people who were traveling to Jerusalem they would travel in big groups they would travel in caravans the whole caravan they would sing these songs of ascent on their way to prepare their heart for worship and what God wanted to do in that gathering. What a novel concept that maybe we prepare our heart for worship. And this song of ascent is one of those. And I find it interesting that they're preparing their heart to worship about singing about the power of unity. It says this, Psalm 133.1, it says, How wonderful and pleasant is when brothers and sisters live together. In harmony, verse 3, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. A lot of symbolism here that yes, God pronounced his blessing on Mount Zion, but what he's saying is when people are mature enough to talk about diversity, embrace diversity, solve their differences in a spiritually mature way, it's in that moment when you agree to unity and harmony that God will pour out a blessing. So you take what Paul is calling Christians to do in Ephesians 4, let's be mature enough to walk together in unity, and then when you take this promise from God that there on that unity, I will pour out my blessing, man, that is a powerful equation for how to live life. Churches, families, and organizations, even nations that cannot make the mature commitment of walking in covenant and walking in unity in the end will fail. It says a house divided against itself will not stand. And throughout scripture, God is compelling and begging his people, be mature enough to figure it out. How to resolve your differences to, dis- to disagree in a spiritual way. Because God's created us in different shapes and size and colors, different thinking styles, different personality types. He's given all of us different spiritual gifts. And he's calling us to embrace that. If we don't embrace that diversity, then I'm only going to see the eyes through my perspective. I won't acknowledge the way you see things. If I, if I don't embrace that diversity, I'm going to miss out on wisdom. I'm going to miss out on a different perspective. And I'm going to miss out on the blessing that comes with unity. And God's people said amen. So today we're going to talk about something that people like to argue about. Okay? And one of my core values as a leader and as a pastor is I just don't argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just not. And like, you might, hey, I'll listen to you. That's great. God bless you. Pray for you. Have a great day. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not. You have every right to be wrong. It's fine. I'm just not, I'm, ignorance is bliss. So if you want to go live in your blissful life, you go do that. No. The pro, here's the problem when we with theological disagreement and theological division. The enemy does a great job at keeping the church distracted. So they focus on minor issues and they miss a lot bigger major issues. Like we're over here arguing, well, will there be a rapture? I don't know. The word rapture is not even in the Bible. I don't Well, I think there's going to be a rapture. I'm going to be caught up. Now, nah, there ain't going to be no rapture. We're arguing about is there going to be a rapture the whole time our neighbors are lost and going to split hell wide open. Amen. I'll do it myself. <laughs> we're over here arguing about money. Should I tithe? Well, I don't have to tithe. And the whole while, 70% of the world's population is living below the poverty line. And the enemy loves a good divisive distraction specifically around what we believe about God in the Bible. Let's not let today be that. Okay. So we're going to go to Mark's gospel, chapter one. We're still just in chapter one and I'm going to be honest with you. I I really wanted to skip this. I did because it's hard. It's weird. I, I wanted to skip this part. And so like Monday, I decided I was going to skip this part. And Tuesday, when I sit down, the Lord's like, (laughs) you're not skipping it. I'm like, all right. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. If you're ready, say, "I'm I'm ready. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum, or Capernaum, tomatoes, tomatoes. Just depends on how pretentious you want to sound. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, so he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. In just a moment, we're going to see in verse 28 that it says that the word about Jesus spread throughout the region of Galilee. He just happened to be at Capernaum on this day. And the region of Galilee, pretty good size. It was like 60 miles by 30 miles. So it's a pretty good area. There were over 200, and I use the word villages, but that's not a good term because most of these towns had over 15,000 people. And the one of the scholars I read said there were over 3 million people that lived in this region of Galilee where Jesus chooses to start his ministry. And Jesus would preach. If we would have read just a few verses earlier, it was like that Jesus was preaching, repent, kingdom, repent, the repent, kingdom, repent. And so Jesus would go into places and he would preach. And that was his primary job was to preach. And then, when need was there, he would do miracles to validate his authority. But he would teach. And, man, people would listen. They were like, man, this guy just teaches like nobody I've ever heard. It's called the anointing. And, and, like, when he spoke, people were just drawn in and would listen. But he would do miracles to validate, I really am the Son of God. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I really am Jesus, the divine Son of God. His focus was preaching Not miracle working, but the crowd wanted to see the miracles. That's what they would constantly ask. Jesus, if you'll do a miracle, we'll believe. Jesus, do another miracle. Jesus, put on a show. Verse 23 would say, suddenly. You're going to see that word, suddenly, immediately, suddenly. Mark is the active gospel writer. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The people in the room, didn't necessarily, they, they didn't even really know who Jesus was. He's just beginning his ministry. They didn't realize that he was the divine son of God. They just know he taught like nobody had ever taught. But it's interesting how the demon-possessed man in the room speaks, and I believe this is the demon, saying, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. And the demon-possessed man declares, You are the Holy One of God. Verse 25, Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And then that evil spirit screamed through the man into convulsions and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. Verse 28. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region, and there you see this region of Galilee. Jesus did some incredible things. He healed the blind, he healed the lame and the sick, he raised the dead, he fed the multitudes on more than one one occasion, and Mark, of all the things that Jesus did, Mark decides to use this story about a man being demon-possessed as the first supernatural thing that Jesus would do. So the story is Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. We're not sure if the man was disruptive or not. The context leans that way, and according to Jewish history and the Jewish historian Josephus, this was pretty common. Exorcisms were actually pretty common in that day, but they did them completely different. There was a lot of pomp in circumstances. Um, Josephus mentions about an exorcist by the name of Eleazar. Okay. And he used a lot of rituals, and in essence, he was putting on a really good show to deal with the unclean spirits. It was an attempt to to get attention and draw crowds and so on and so forth. And that's what people of the day were used to, kind of just a, a big show as we're doing this exorcism. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus just says, stop, be quiet, leave him. Boom, done. No big show, no production. I know the demonic stuff is abnormal, it's uncomfortable, it's unusual, and because of that, it it tends to be a target for division among theological circles and even theological conversation. Yeah, I ain't never seen that preacher. I've never experienced that. And I would just say be cautious. Let the Bible dictate what we believe, not what we're comfortable with. Let the scripture dictate dictate what we think and believe about God not what we have or have not experienced okay so let's just go back to the basics maybe some of you this is your new exposure to Jesus and the church and you know maybe you've heard the term demon or whatever so so what is a deacon i mean demon i'm sorry i get that <laughs> just seeing if y'all are awake jesus had sent out a group of his followers sent out 70 disciples and they went out and, and, and they come back amazed because they were able to do, like heal people. And they were actually able to cast unclean spirits out of people. And when they come back, they're so excited. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, we were able to do this. And Luke chapter 10 talks about that conversation. And this is, this is something Jesus says in response to them. He says, look, or he told them, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning, okay? And when you read that, the context of that, like it just kind of reads like, well, you guys were out doing that. I was looking and I saw Satan fall. Like I saw the enemy getting beat. I saw the enemy lose. But that's not what he's saying. He's referring, I think he's referring back to that day before creation, before Adam and Eve. When Lucifer, who was a created angel, and he used to be a good guy, but his story is somewhat told in Isaiah 14, and it said that he tried to set himself above the throne of God, and and God basically kicked him out of heaven. Well, Jesus saw that. And when Lucifer, or Satan, or the devil, or Belsabub, whatever name you want to call him, when he was kicked out, he convinced a third of the angels to go with him. So Jesus, when he says, listen, I saw Satan fall like lightning, What he was saying to them was, yeah, I was there when the enemy already lost. What you guys did today when you were out ministering is just symptomatic of the devil has already been defeated. That's a good place to say amen, preacher. Okay. And if you just do the math, if Lucifer and a third, one third of the angels were kicked out, if you just do the math, there's two to one ratio of good guys to bad guys. Plus, we've already won the war. So a man possessed by a demon comes into the synagogue, and Jesus casts that demon out. And from the translation from Greek to English, the word that we translated into possessed is just the Greek word "nen." E-N. Because I spent a lot of time looking at the language this week. So E-N, is they translated it into English, they used it, they translated E-N to the word possessed, okay? E-N is most commonly translated as in, but it can also mean among. It can also mean by, or with, or on. It's definitions, the Greek word in, the definitions are the interior of some place, the inside of some But it can also mean on the surface of some place. Or it can also mean near or by some place. In most instances, that may not matter. But if I'm going to pour some coffee in your cup, or if I'm going to pour some coffee by your cup, there's a big difference. In the reality in theology, there's been a lot of fighting about this little word, in, whether they knew it, or not, okay? So I wanna show you a couple, it's used hundreds, if not thousands of times in the New Testament, okay? But I'll show you a couple of other places in the scripture where this little bitty word, in, that here is translated into possess. I wanna show you where it's used in other places in a positive, in a good context. One of those is Romans chapter eight, verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, somebody say amen, And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same living spirit. I know the English says within, but the Greek word there is in, within you. Let me show you another one that's very common. But again, hundreds of places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that altogether you are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you. The theological ideas: When you place your faith in Christ, when He becomes your Lord and Savior, and I know it's confusing. We used to use this term, "Jesus, would you come into my heart?" Well, how are you going to get Him in there? Okay, but something theological happens. Something in the spiritual realm understands when, when I surrender my life to Jesus, He comes into my life. His Spirit comes in. It comes in and dwells within us. Okay. We can see in Mark chapter one and several other places in the Bible where an unclean spirit can be in. Or is it on? Or is it among? Or is it by? Or is it attached? So the predominant idea, and that's the way a lot of translations translate, the demon or the unclean spirit possessed was in this man. Which leads the question to you and I, so can I have a demon? Yeah. And some of you just said, preacher, hold your role, hold up. Not everybody can be demon possessed. And one of the verses that we as Christians use to back that up is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14. If you want to just write this as extra notes. okay. And Paul is talking about our bodies being the temple of God. Like, if, I, if Christ comes and dwells, his spirit dwells in me, I'm now the temple. I now house the spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. It says, don't team up with those who think rap music is actually music. <laughs> it's real, I mean, it's not music. That's not what it says. It says, don't team up with people who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness And how can light live with darkness? there's other places in scripture that make this same point. John makes some references to that. The idea is good and evil cannot coexist in a person. Meaning if I'm saved, this is the theological idea that some people will hold to, I cannot have a demon. So can a person be demon possessed? If you're lost, yes, it's pretty clear. If a person is lost and does not have Jesus in their life, yes. But what if I'm a Christian? Can a person have a demon if they're a Christian? It's complicated. It's complicated. So I'm going to go back to my little Greek word, en. What does it mean? Okay. Does it mean that the unclean spirit is inside Does it mean the unclean spirit is among, is attached, is on, is by? On is different than in, with is different than in. And so I've asked a lot of preachers, I've asked a lot of mature believers down through the years. I asked a pastor this week, I'm like, man, do you think, let me ask you, do you think believers can be demon-possessed? They didn't quote this to me, but based on that idea that I just unpacked for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, they would say, and this is what he said, he's like, no, Christians can't be demon-possessed, but they can be oppressed. Okay, then what's what's the difference? That's a good question. Sometimes you just get blank stares. So, I know I've introduced tension in the room, so this is probably a good place to just kind of take a moment and, and tell you a practical story about this. So, there was a husband and wife and they were out running some errands. And in their day as they were out doing things, they they stopped by the bank. And while they were there at the bank, they realized there was some commotion going on in front of them. And actually the person in front of them, they didn't notice when they walked up, it had a mask on and was robbing the bank. And so they tried to slip away, but it was too late, they'd been noticed. And so while this bank robber was there, the mask that he was wearing actually slipped off and that kind of became a thing. And he looked straight at the teller and he said, Did you see me? And the teller. He shot him. And he turned around with his gun and he looked at the husband and the wife. And he said, "Did you see my face?" And the wife goes, "He did." (laughs) Absolutely nothing to do with demons. I just felt like I was coming pretty hot. I needed to take a minute just to slow down and make you laugh a little bit. Needed to happen. If you get into the interwebs of theology and the reading, and I've spent hours upon, you know, there are people who are arguing, there are people who want to criticize. And here's what I don't understand in Christianity is why we disagree and demean at the same time. Like, I don't understand why, if I don't see something from the same theological point that you do, specifically on things that can lean grayish then why do I have to call you a heretic or why do I have to call you a false prophet? And I'm gonna strongly encourage you, hey, in our church, there's some pretty essential things that we will fight for, you know what I'm saying? But scripture's got a lot of gray areas. and I'm gonna say this one might tip there. Let's not be demeaning in our disagreement. Amen, everybody? That's just not who we are as a church. And I'm gonna walk into some of this tension today. Here's the idea. They are fighting and arguing and, and demeaning and tearing down and blaming over the idea of this word in. So here's what they're fighting about. The location of the demon. Is he in or on? Is he possessed or oppressed, right? So, can a Christian be demon possessed? In all the arguing and all the demeaning, we have missed the bigger issue. In, on, among, attached, by, with. What difference does it make? Because the New Testament is clear. There is spiritual warfare that is going on. And you and I as Christians need to stand firm. We need to be aware. We need to be prepared. Paul said, you need to put on the full armor of God. I'm preaching up in this Baptist house. All right. Calm down. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. The battle has already been won. We need to take authority and see people spiritually set free from the grip of the enemy. Just don't think that a Christian can be demon possessed. Okay. Are they still wrestling with spiritual warfare? I guess. Do they still need help? Need deliverance? Yes. Then what's the difference in or on? What's the difference? Let's just get to work helping set people, be set free. So Mark tells the story, and it certainly opens up a big, weird can of worms. If you're new with us today, please come back next week. Please. I'm not weird. Well, we try not to be a weird church. Okay, This doesn't have to be weird. This doesn't have to be scary. And I'll be honest with you, I had multiple people after first service going, Thank you, I've never heard that talk before. I grew up in a church that didn't talk about this. I mean, we might have stomped on the devil a little bit, but nobody ever dug into the theology of this. That's why we're walking through the Gospel of Mark. We're letting the text preach the text. It would have been so easy for me to skip these verses and go on to another miracle. But if Mark says, hey, this is the first miracle that I'm going to share, I think maybe we ought to slow our roll and unpack it just a little bit. Amen, everybody? But I hesitate to pray, I don't want to preach this. It's weird. It takes faith. Honestly, it takes, it takes help from the Holy Spirit to understand because people want to get off in ditches. People, there ain't no such thing. You people are all casting devils out of right. There ain't no demons around here. Like, people get off in that ditch or people get off in the other ditch and they're casting demons out of everything. Come on. It's like, baby, that's your child. They don't have demons. You've just never said no to the thing. They don't, they don't need an exorcism. It needs a paddle. And there's some people see a demon under every rock. You know, listen, careful. It's not demons that are causing some people to give into temptation. Sometimes it's a lack of spiritual discipline. Sometimes it's a need for spiritual maturity in our life. And I don't want to make light of all this. We'll get there in just a second and talk about demonic attachment, what that can look like and what that can feel like. But I think some people give way too much credit to the devil and his minions. They give him way too much credit for their lack of spiritual maturity. Y'all keep this up. Like it's going to get, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm going to start wearing sweat rags and all that stuff. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes around here, like we got static and lights are flashy and I'll joke and go, Oh, we got demons in the PA system. No, it's because Colby's been back there punching buttons and he don't need to be punching buttons, (laughs) y'all. One other reason why this is hard and people don't preach on it is some of you are probably paranoid after doing it. Like you're scared to death. We have nothing to fear. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning, meaning the battle's already been won. You and I just need to learn how to take authority. It wasn't weird. It wasn't freaky. He said, be quiet, stop, and get out of here. Okay? So I'm gonna answer four questions this morning in the time we have left. Four questions. Number one, how do demons get there? Number two, what do they do or what can they do? How do I know? And then if I think someone I know or, or even maybe you, as we're walking through this checklist, you might check off several of these things. Like, you know what? There might be some spiritual warfare going on. Then what do I do? I'm gonna give you some steps to take, okay? So here we go. Let's jump in on how do demons get there? Number one, it's a great question. And the answers are wide and many. And unfortunately, um, some of, like be careful what you read because if you get out there, there'll people that will tell you if you watch the Smurfs growing up, you probably have demons. So, so you gotta be careful, okay? There's only two places in Scripture that talk, well, two places in the New Testament that talk about this foothold or opening up a vulnerability to let the enemy in the first one is in john chapter 13 and he's talking about judas and i don't want to get into the conversation of whether judas was saved or not judas died before the cross jesus had his own issues but judas was one of the followers of jesus so you can't ignore that detail and it says when judas when judas had eaten the bread satan entered into him people i've been telling you bread is of the devil Demons come from eating bread. No, that's not, that's not real. I'm sorry. Pastor Chad, don't teach that at your church. That's not even good theology right there. Okay. Then Judas told, or then Jesus told Judas, hurry and do what you're going to do. Okay. It had nothing to do with bread. If you read back in a chapter earlier, John chapter 12, it tells us that Judas would steal money. He was kind of the treasure for Jesus and the disciples and Judas would steal money And he was always throwing a fit about things being too expensive or what we could have done with that offering and so on and so forth. So the context, when Scripture doesn't clearly say this, but the context was that Judas allowed greed to open a door to allow Satan to use him to betray Jesus. Okay, So there's a pattern that a sin that God tells us to be careful with, don't let it get a hold of you, and it got too much and it opened up. And the Bible says the devil entered into him. The other place is in Ephesians chapter four. And Paul does a lot, of, Ephesians is the spiritual warfare book. Ephesians chapter six is put on the full armor of God. In Ephesians chapter four, he gives a warning. He's clearly talking to Christians. Verse 26, don't sin by letting anger get a hold of you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So you can see that anger and bitterness and unforgiveness open up space. It creates space for the devil to come in and and, and have an attachment or a foothold, a press, wherever you want to go, okay? But there are things knowingly and unknowingly that open us up to vulnerability. And I'm just from here going to use the term demonic attachment, okay, to demonic activity. This is not necessarily found in the context of the New Testament. It is found in principles in the Old Testament, but let's just start with the obvious about worshiping other religions, worshiping other gods, okay, other religions. And I'm not talking denomination, okay? You cannot tell your wife she has demons because she grew up Methodist. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about serving other gods, New Age, mysticism, Islam, Buddhism, all that, if you're worshiping another god, you're clearly worshiping a false god, and most likely it is some type of demon demon that is wanting to be worshipped could be Satan himself. A lot of conversation. Not to get into that, that Baal throughout the Old Testament was possibly Lucifer trying to disguise himself as a god. So New Age, mysticism, it all takes the focus off of Jehovah, our creator, and it opens you up for demonic activity and attachment, okay? Psychics. and I know, in our culture today, we've normalized that. There's TV shows about that. Listen, they are operating in a spiritual realm that is not good, in the Old Testament, there's stories of psychics being used. It was not good. It's not. Okay? Cults, the occult, witchcraft, Wiccan, Satanism, spirit guides, spells, chants, mysticism, communicating with spirits. All of that opens yourself up to demonic attachment and demonic activity. Teenagers, listen to me. Ouija boards might seem harmless. Get them on AMP. Don't go there. Don't go there, because you're opening a door for a demonic attachment to wreak havoc in your life. And you'll see as I get through this what they can and do do. Okay. If you've done that, oh, I was in college. Does it mean I have a demon? Maybe, maybe not. But I want you to understand the doorway has been opened. Okay. One other, and it's interesting because I did a lot of reading from Christian psychologists who deal with this. Because a lot of Mental health issues can can come back to spiritual issues, okay? And there was several Christian psychologists who talked about demonic influence in people's mental health struggle. And one of the Christian psychologists I read, he said, listen, I don't even know why this is a thing. I have just discovered that traumatic abuse opens you up to vulnerability of demonic attachment. Emotional abuse, physical abuse, even sexual abuse, even if you're just the victim, something evil transpired in the darkness of that moment and the potential is there. But you also have to be careful with greed is what we saw with Judas. You have to be careful with unforgiveness and anger and the other sins. Any sin that comes out of the balance can really open up an attachment for the enemy to come in and wreak havoc in your life. This is why. As a church, we want people to know God, but we want people to find freedom and discover what freedom is like in Christ. Amen, everybody. Okay. So what do demons do? What like what's their purpose? What, what you know, and so there's two places in the scripture I'm going to show you. First comes from Jesus talking in John chapter 10, verse 10. And he says, Listen, the thief, he's talking about Satan, the one that he saw fall like a, the thief. The devil's purpose is to steal. Kill and destroy. He said, But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Okay? So Satan's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's their marching orders. His minions are helping him. Let me tell you how their number one weapon of what they use. This is Jesus, and he's in this discussion with some religious people. Okay? but he's coming at them pretty hot. Like, you, you, I serve God the Father, but you serve your father the devil. And he says this, who is the father of lies? And when he lies, Satan is consistent with his character. He is a liar, and he's the father of lies. So the enemy uses lies and deception to steal, kill, and destroy. If that makes sense, say amen. Many times, the demonic attachment will go down this wrong road long enough to lie to you, lie to you, lie to you, lie to you, you, deceive you, deceive you, deceive you, that all of a sudden suicidal tendencies become prominent and that's their ultimate goal is to kill you and destroy your soul, okay? It will be constant lies that revolve primarily around two areas, but it can revolve around any. The two of their biggest things that they come after, first it's typically lies about your self-worth, God can't love you, no one loves you, no one likes you. You're not, you're not worth the effort. God can save everybody, he probably couldn't save you. No one could love you, you're too broken, you're too broken. And then there's lies about identity. Yeah. Your dad said you were a mistake, unfortunately, there's a significant person of influence in people's lives can be a teacher can be a coach can be an older sibling can be an aunt an uncle a grandparent the worst is when it's a parent the significant person of influence say something out of anger, out of frustration, out of their own brokenness. And the enemy will take those words and play them over and over and over and over to affirm their lies about their identity. You were mistaken. and never should have had you anyway. And that, those words will be played over and over and over. And the devil just grabs that and just plays it like a recording over and over and over and over in people's minds. Everybody say, I love BK. I'm about to add some gas to the fire, okay? I love you, but the identity crisis that we are having in our culture is rooted in the lies from the enemy. Remember, he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He seeks to steal who people were created to be. He seeks to destroy their future, their destiny, and ultimately kill them. The suicide rates among the homosexual community and among the transgender community is massive because he is trying to steal their identity. He's trying to destroy their destiny and ultimately get them to kill themselves. And the whole time, the devil is saying this lie, well, it's the church's fault. It's the Christian's fault. They're not accepting you. They're not judging you. All the while he is leading down this road of lies to destroy their very soul, and the day they commit suicide is the day he feels like he wins. y'all think spiritual warfare is a thing? Just open your eyes and and watch what's going on in the culture around us. Most of these lies are internal dialogue, a lot of negative self-talk, okay? Now, if you think, well, Man, I looked in myself in the mirror after Christmas and I didn't do so good. That's not not what I'm talking about. I had had a bad thought about myself. Does that mean I have a demon? No, not not necessarily. There's need to be some other things. I'm talking about this negative self-talk is a constant. You cannot escape it. You cannot get away from it. Almost this feeling of am I losing my mind type of activity. Okay? So that's what they do. Now... How do I know if I have a demon? Because some of you a little freaked out right now. More importantly, probably for the context of this room, how do I know if someone that I love is fighting this battle? Because one of these we'll get into, it can be people who wrestle with demonic attachment, but they really don't like places of worship and, and we'll explain that. So how do I know? So number one, if, if, this, if this is something that you experience regularly, attacks in your dreams, okay? Matthew 13, 25, he's not talking about spiritual warfare per se, attacks in dreams and I'm gonna roll here because we're gonna roll through these 10 pretty quick. Okay. Matthew 13, 25 says, but that night as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted seeds. Well, what's the best way plant seeds of weeds in your mind is while you're in your dreams. And the enemy just comes in. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy your peace by disrupting your sleep. And so it's constant perverse dreams, dreams where you see death, dreams where you're visited by dead people, Oh, no, I had a bad dream last night. Well, it could be the bad burrito you had. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you cannot sleep. You're afraid to go to sleep because the dream cycle is so bad. I'm exhausted because I can't sleep. There you need to pray and say, God, do I have company? Is there demonic activity going on? Secondly, uncontrolled negative emotions. Not I looked in the mirror and Christmas was not good to me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you literally have no control over your emotions. If there's any thought that I cannot control my emotions should cause you to ask the question, do I have demonic activity going on? Number three, an intense, an intense, overwhelming desire for sin and perversion. A craving. Not, dang it, I lost my cool and said something I shouldn't have. But this overwhelming craving for unholy, ungodly, impure things. And then, when you give into that, it is followed by shame, feelings of hate for myself, and inability to forgive myself. I don't think all addictions have demonic attachment, okay? But be aware some addictions for gross, defile, ungodly activity, it's possible you have company. Number four, a strong desire or even involvement in the cult. And false religion like you're very curious about that it feels almost romantic almost feels like there's a better way on the dark side and if there's this strong desire you might have company number five chronic sickness or ailment okay i almost didn't list this one but then as i went back and studied throughout scripture specifically in the in the gospels when jesus cast demons out of people many times the ailment was gone not chronic back pain means I've always got a demon. If this is the only one that you're checking off on that box, the only one, then it's probably not an issue, okay? But you cannot neglect the fact that in the gospel, when people were set free from demons, they physically had, they physically improved. Number six, compulsive behavior. Like sudden urges that you can't control, urges of rage and hostility where you'd become not even yourself. King Saul in the Bible, He was trying to kill David. He was tormented by evil spirit. He had compulsive rage, compulsive behavior. Number seven, uncomfortable in spiritual environments. And they're not comfortable around spiritual people, okay? Like most times, if you have a demon-possessed person and you invite them to church, they ain't coming, okay? They're very uncomfortable in spiritual environments. Now, it can happen. It has happened, and most times, they're not even comfortable around spiritual people. If there's no desire, if there's a strong discomfort in spiritual places, you might have company. Number eight, compulsive desire to hurt the body. Mark chapter 5 talks about a man who was possessed by a demon, and he cut himself. If there is this desire to mutilate, cut, hurt, deform the body, remember, the enemy's here to steal, kill, destroyed number 9 if you're hearing voices it's another possible indicator especially if the voices refer to themselves as us not me and i little history reminder that me and i is first person you are second person he she they it is third person and if those voices are in third person, he or she or... Then it's possible, not always. Sometimes there's mental health conditions that can contribute to experiencing voices. But if those voices are destructive in nature, typically in the third person, you might have company. And then the last one is paranormal experiences. This one's harder to explain. But any supernatural activity could be the disappearance of objects. Like losing your keys regularly. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. That means you've been hanging out with Pastor Matt. Just because you misplaced your keys doesn't mean you have a demon, all right? But strange things that you can't explain, moving in your home or other strange manifestations, and this is, woo, this is weird, it's uncomfortable, right? But it might be evidence that there is demonic influence in your surroundings, okay? Pause. If you went down through that list and you had one of those, It means we're in spiritual warfare, but it doesn't mean you've necessarily opened an attachment to demonic issues. If we walk through that list and you resonated with more than not, don't be scared. Remember, Jesus just said, stop, be quiet, get up." This does not have to be weird. This does not have to be freaky, but we do have to take authority. Okay, You don't need to live in fear, but I do think you need to get some resources. I do think you need to take some action. So If that is me, or it's for my kid, or for my friend that I dearly love, but man, pastor, as you were going through that 10, they marked off nine of those 10, what do I do? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm gonna give you five things, just starter. Five things, and these are kind of the base five things. The first one is I would say start with Jesus. Remember back to this whole conversation, can a Christian be possessed or oppressed or whatever? Well, let's just get that part out of the way. If you know someone that has demonic attachment, you need to start with sharing the gospel with them and saying, Baby, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the creator of your soul. And so I would start there with Jesus. First and foremost, have them give their life to Jesus. It may not fix it, but that's a great place to begin. Amen, everybody? And then if you are a believer or if they are a believer, then you go to number two, okay? Which would be grow, develop your spiritual disciplines. Just try to spiritually mature. Just strive to get spiritually better. Fast. We're fasting with you. Pray. Read the Bible. Because what you'll discover, if there really is demonic activity, you will will hate reading the Bible. You will hate spending time in prayer. And so I would just say develop those spiritual disciplines. You need Christians to encourage you to hang in there you need people to hold you hey man I'm going to try to pray every day and you need somebody to to detect did you pray today all right well let's stop right now and let's pray did you read your bible today you need accountability here's the deal this is going to determine if it's a spiritual immaturity a spiritual discipline issue or is it really demonic attachment? So the second thing you need to do is just try to grow spiritually. Just develop those spiritual disciplines, amen? Number three, get under authority. We don't like that word today. We don't, um, nobody telling me what to do. We don't like that word. But Jesus was a man of authority. Several stories in the gospel affirm that Jesus was a person of authority. Kids, listen to me. Like if you think at some point that man, man, I just can't get past this. I can't get past this. You need to get under your parents' authority. Specifically, if they are church-going, Bible-believing, praying, godly parents, they can do more for you than anybody can. Husbands, we are the spiritual authority of our house. Let's step and move into that role. Can I get an amen? Adults, we need to be submitted To spiritual authority, not in a controlling, and a manipulating, but in a God-ordained, shepherding, loving, speaking authority over your life. Not telling you what to do, but telling the devil to get off of you. Okay? So, number three is get under authority. Then number four is take authority. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Doesn't have to be a show. Doesn't have to be pomp and circumstance. In the name of Jesus, I'm taking authority. The enemy's already lost. We just need to learn how to step into the authority he's given. He said, listen, what we bind on earth, he will bind in heaven. Demon, I bind you up. What he has loosed on earth, he will loose in heaven. We need to learn to release people from the control of the enemy. Can I get an amen? I don't want to go into the details of it because time, but very close personal story. I've walked through this. And it doesn't have to be weird, doesn't have to be freaky. It's just a matter of learning how to take authority over the devil. Amen, everybody. Number five is keep going. Because once you're kind of done there, you don't stop. Here's why in Matthew, Jesus tells this story. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finds none. Which, by the way, there's a story where Jesus casts out devils and he casts them into the pigs. But if you just cast a, a demon out, it's gotta go somewhere. It says, they'll go out into the desert, won't find any place, verse 44. Then it says, well, I'll just go back to where I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other more evil than itself and they enter the person and live there. So that person is worse off than before. The most susceptible person to demonic attachment is someone that has recently been released because it's like, oh, that's over. I don't have to read my Bible anymore. No, 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 no. You gotta go back to number two and keep at them spiritual disciplines because the enemy is gonna come back knocking to see you were vulnerable once, will you be vulnerable again? And so you keep going. Amen, church? I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I wanna invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, Visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.